Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it easier and faster to create a high-quality website or blog, plus mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com twip and use the offer code twip9. This week on Twip, Lytro enters the retail market, Adobe releases Photoshop Elements 11, an update on Nokia's Lumia 920 smartphone and that little marketing fiasco they had, plus some takeaways from Photokina 2012 and an interview with Brooks Institute of Photography's Ralph Clevenger. It's Wednesday, September 26, 2012, and this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into Lytro. Looks like they entered the retail market finally. Um, so if you want to go check out Lytro soon, you'll be able to go get your hands on one at a retail outlet near you. Plus, we're going to have an update on Nokia's Lumia 920, the whole pure view fiasco that they uh, that, that they got hit with. Actually, they were guilty. <laughs> so the the whole Lumia Steadicam, it's a red camera, not a Lumia thing. So we're going to talk about that. Um, it's actually good news for Nokia. So uh, we'll go into that. Also, Adobe has released Elements 11, or it's imminent. And also, we're going to do a quick Photokina 2012 roundup. And to, to sew it all up in a nice little bow, there's an interview with Brooks Institute of Photography's Ralph Clevenger. So great interview with him and very insightful. So joining me to discuss all of this stuff are Mr. Steve Simon, Ms. Valerie Jardin, and Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey. Hello. All right. Hey, Valerie, I'm still getting your name right. Did you notice that? Yes, very good. Because <laughs> I'm smooth. But, but Valerie, I'm, I'm from Montreal, and I thought it was, it's not Jardin? Jardin. Well, see, no, you say it with the Canadian accent. Uh, maybe that's it. That's the Quebecois. I put a little, you got to get little, that A in there whenever you can, right, Steve? I put a little poutine on it. That's right. You did. Yes. Very cool. Okay. Well, well, speaking Jardin. of that, so Valerie, uh, I think you have the honor of not having been on the show in the longest amount of time. What have you been up to? What's new in your world? Oh, boy. Um, I launched my 2013 workshops um, in France. And besides Paris, I, I started... I, design a new adventure, a week-long photo adventure in Normandy, which mm -hmm. is where I'm originally from, which will run in May and October, as well as the Paris workshop will also run in May and October. And I'm leaving actually for my October workshop at the end of next week, um, which starts October 7th. So, Wonderful. so it's exciting. What happens so, on your workshops? Well, you take me through quickly through like a day in the life of one of your workshops. <laughs> well, it's it's not... A lot of classroom time because who wants to be in Paris for a week and spend half the day in a classroom? Yeah. So it's pretty much 
the, the teaching is done during photo walks, and uh, it's um, two. It's me and an assistant in a small group of participants, and different levels. And we have different themes. You know, one day we're going to focus more on street photography and how to incorporate people in your frame um, or to tell a story, like a, a storyboard photo essay, mm-hmm. um, and, and to, to, see, um, to see Paris or any other place um, outside of the postcard. Nice, you know. nice. And, um, Paris, so, Paris, like New York, to me is a black and white city. I don't know why. Yes. It just, just wants to be black and white. <laughs> I'm learning this week. I love it, right? <laughs> right? All right. And then, um, all right, Steve, I think you're next up. What's, uh, sure. what's, what's new in the Steve Simon world? And please tell me that there's a blog that you launched. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really, really close. It's, it's going to happen. I can feel it. I can even smell it. Well, I can smell Steve, something. Steve, it's I'm like you're, sure. you're chasing the horizon, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's going to be happening sometime really soon. Probably even by the time uh, – it'll be happening soon. But, yeah, we're working on it, and uh, it'll, it'll be soon. I'm uh, back in New York, and, you know, we I worked on the Nikon D600 campaign, so that camera came out, so I was finally able to talk about it as we did last week, which was great, and uh, – uh, just looking around, seeing the feedback on it, been pretty good uh, thus far. Beautiful little camera. I'm hoping still, to get. You still liking soon. it? Because you you were pretty you were pretty bullish on it last time we talked. So you're still happy with it? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't have my own yet. I've got one on order. I know they're in stock everywhere, so I will have one. I mean, look, I'm not for want of cameras. I've got many <laughs> bodies, but uh, yeah. that one has uh, a special uh, place in my heart just because I, I got to go to Morocco and Cuba with it, and it was just a wonderful experience. Well, so, as, uh, as David as David Hobby uh, the Strobus says, the whole s- slow sync speed issue and the lack of a PC slot those didn't bother you at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you know, the the fact is that you, you know, the PC slot is solved with just a little fifteen dollar accessory, mm-hmm. um, and and the 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 sync speed. I mean, I I love using um, high speed sync with the Nikon flashes, so I can I can use it at any shutter speed. Now this one goes to one four thousandth of a second, so you can you can use wide apertures with Nikon flashes uh, in in bright light. So for me, that's that's all that counts. But you know, you you. You have to sort of draw the line on features somewhere. So there's a reason why the the D800 is uh, you know about nine hundred thousand bucks more. There's a, a few extra th- things on it, but uh, yeah, so far so good. Very cool. All right. Well, welcome, Steve. And also the voice you heard is Martin Bailey. So Martin Bailey normally lives in Japan, but is now in New York and was yeah. in California a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what where what is going on with Martin Bailey? Where are you bouncing around? Uh, I uh, I've been in I came over initially went to see see some of my relatives in Fairfield, Ohio. I went down to see the guys at Outdoor Photo Gear in Kentucky. I came over to New York for Luminance 2012 Photoshop's uh, conference that was excellent. I then went back to San Francisco, spent a week there. We met, had dinner, really enjoyed that. Um, and obviously, I did my workshop. So that's when my Pixels to Pigment in the U.S. started. And we did we did the San Francisco workshop, uh, not this last weekend, just gone the weekend before, and then came to New York and did Pixels to Pigment New York. Very cool. How's it? So are you done with Pixels to Pigment New York, or is that in progress now? 
Oh, no. I uh, Tomorrow I leave for Toronto. And then, so we've got Pixels to Pigment Toronto is on the 29th and 30th of, of September. So if anyone picks this show up on Friday and wants to go, you've got like four hours or so to book. Um, but yeah, if you go to pixels2pigment.com and take a look, that'd be great. And then but the week after in London. So wow. we've got yeah. we've got London on October sixth and seventh. I'm hearing so, I'm hearing your voice. You seem a little tired there, Martin. Is it is this traveling get is it wearing on you like a rock star? You know what? I London London. New York has been amazing and I've uh, I've generally just been sort of getting up and getting out and photographing as much as possible and I, I, I've got to admit, I'm a little bit on the tired side. Um, I had a relatively easy day, though, today and, and finished a, a podcast with a, a, re- a quick chat with the guys that really write stuff. I put that out earlier tonight. Oh, cool. I want to listen to that. Yeah, it's, it's only a very quick one, uh, but it, uh, it, it was really nice to talk with those guys. I drove down from Cupertino to San Luis, San Luis, or San Luis Obispo, yes. which is uh, where they're based. Yep. Um, and it was really, they were really, really nice guys. I love their gear, and it was the, the the conversation is with Joe Johnson Jr., the son. But after a meeting, uh, his dad, who who's like the owner of Really Right Stuff, Joe Senior, came home. Well, came back to the office, and we went for lunch. And they're they're just all really, really nice people. Now, did you did you tell them about your uh, your love affair with your tripod and that whole story? I did, um, <laughs> I, and for the people that don't, that don't know what Frederick's talking about, I on Google Plus a couple of weeks ago when I bought a a new 34L really right stuff tripod, I took some photos of it and I said on Google Plus that it was a really sexy tripod, and then people were telling me that I need to get out more, and I think they're yeah. probably right. Yeah, you know when. Uh, uh, when uh, Martin and I had lunch the other day, um, yeah. you brought the tripod with you, oh, yeah. and I found it a little unnerving the way you were looking at it. To be honest, <laughs> it was just did he a have it dressed up? Did he have clothes on and all well, that? <laughs> yeah, it was just the way he was looking at it. It was. I mean, it's a beautiful tripod. I I, I sort of snuck a couple of looks myself. But hey, yeah, Steve, I, I still, don't yeah. judge. Do not judge. <laughs> I was going to ask you outside. <laughs> I feel left out. I haven't had lunch with Martin yet. <laughs> you got it. You got it. over country over here in Minnesota. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Let's jump into the news here. The first story that um, that we're going to talk about is Lytro really quick. So Lytro, um, for those who aren't familiar with the brand, they're the guys that make that light field camera, which allows users to focus on um, their subjects after the fact using the light field technology. So basically what they're doing is making their cameras much easier to purchase. Previously, you can only buy them online, but now the cameras are going to be in Amazon, Target, Best Buy, all over the place, and it's going to, they're going to hit in October. Plus, they're going to debut in Canada and other select international sites later in uh, October. And by November, we're hearing that they'll, they may even be in um, the City Target store, on the shelves of a City Target store. We're not sure which one. Maybe San Francisco. So we'll see. And um, I traded emails with Eric Chang, who's been on TWIP a couple weeks ago. And he said that they're also featuring two-day ship, and they're going to be releasing a Windows version of their client software. So... 
looks like Lytro is pushing really hard to get those devices into the hands of consumers and photographers. So my question to you guys, Martin, let's start with you. Um, you're familiar with Lytro, obviously. I'm not sure if you've held one in your hands or played with it yet. But what do you what do you think of the camera? And do you think this type of technology, as it stands today, could ever find its way into your into the Bailey workflow? Um. Well. Eric Cheng was he was actually one of the speakers at Luminant 2012 mm-hmm. and I, I yeah. thought he spoke really well and you know everything he he said was it was he was witty and uh you know really really cool to watch um the the technology itself I don't think I'm going to be jumping on it anytime soon but some of the things that Eric was saying are coming along you know with more resolution um and also probably 3D Mm-hmm. And th- these are all things that I think it, it it'll it's certainly not going to go away, and I think that the technology is going to get get be- bigger and better. Um, that if you just heard that, that's not me. It's some, <laughs> my hotel room has uh, someone in one of the nearby rooms has a tap that uh, you know a faucet that just makes this horrible noise. <laughs> um, the, the, the problems of being in a in a low grade New York hotel. Nice. Um, so. So uh, yeah, the the I, I think it it certainly will have a place at some point, and I'd love to play with it. Still, you know, the just the um, at the moment, I think for me the the, the megapixels are a, li- a little bit too low for. You're still on the consumer know. side, right? Yeah, right, right. But what? it's it's certainly interesting, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing next you know the next few iterations and see how they improve on it. Yeah, Valerie, what do you think is next for Lytro? Do you, do you think the the technology, this light field technology, clearly, and, and Eric says this too, that it's it's still sort of uh, consumer based, right? It's not designed for ultra resolution billboard type photos, but the technology inside the Lytro is what is that? That's the interesting pearl inside the oyster. Right? So, do you think that? What's going to happen? Like in say five years from now, are we going to see Lytro technology in the cameras that you're using on your workshops, or is it just going to well, stay in that in that device? It probably is just the tip of the iceberg. I you know what's going to come next, but I just don't quite get it. I mean, isn't part of making a picture you know knowing where you want to focus? I don't know. You know, it's mm. just coming keeping it open to after the fact. I just don't really see the point. I can't picture myself coming with this type of camera on a client shoot, but it looks interesting. I would love to try it. I think it would be really fun. Um, I don't know if I'd want to use it at this point. Yeah. But and it's it's an interesting look too. It looks kind of like a toy. Yeah, it does. So Steve, so Valerie makes a valid point there. So we, like drawing drawing the line between too much technology in our cameras and and just the right amount you know where where does Lytro fall on that because we could say you know a lot of photographers used to say oh this autofocus thing you know if you're a real photographer you know how to focus you know yourselves you didn't need you wouldn't need the computer now we rely on autofocus is focusing after the fact the next autofocus well i mean it, it just may be i mean the the fact does remain that with all the technology uh, advances that we've made, and it's been hugely amazing what we've seen in the last 10 years, um, in the end, it comes down to you know the, the photograph and what the photograph communicates. And having all this technology uh, in the hands of the right people with the right ideas about what they want to say with their pictures is fantastic. But in the end, it's still going to need that uh, the person's eye behind uh, the camera to be able to kind of 
give you know make something that's that's worthwhile that's worth looking at i mean the thing about this camera is if my understanding is correct um is it's kind of an online thing you can you can change the focus and so on with an image that's that's online but with a still picture i i don't know if you can i i think in the future yeah sure for post processing if your focus was off you can fix it or if you want more depth of field or less depth of field you'll mm-hmm. be able to manipulate it after the fact i think that's ultimately a good thing i think it scares a lot of people to a certain degree but in the end i think ultimately it's it's the photographers that are are going to be able to regardless of what you're using they'll uh, you know the the cream will rise to the top yeah yeah I think- to me it's kind of taking the f- part ahead, of the fun away i mean out of photography isn't the fun i mean it's all being out there making your picture and and making those decisions in the field I yeah. just don't see the point of spending more time in front of my computer to decide after the fact, oh, wait, maybe I should focus this more to the left. Or- but what if, what if yeah. you think about it from the standpoint of it's a, a, a different art form? You know, not so much yeah. trying to apply this new technology to the way that we traditionally shoot. Why don't, what if you look at it from the standpoint of, like, think of a gallery, right? So there's a, a swank-looking all-white gallery in downtown New York, or in downtown New York, um, say in San Francisco, like 111 Mina, right? There's this gallery there and flat screens, touchscreen flat screens are, are on the wall full of different types of Lytro art that you can walk up to and then touch part of the image and have that part of the image come into focus. That, you know, so cool. yeah, images that were shot specifically to be interpreted via touch, you know, rather than, okay, I'm going to use it to fix things that I already shot. You know, mm-hmm. which we can, we do the, we professionals do that in the camera, but to think of it just after the fact, making more of a multimedia fluid type experience, I think has a lot of merit. That, that's what I think is going to happen. And there were, and Eric was saying at Luminance that you can throw the images from Lytro cameras onto Facebook now and they just work. It's all in there. Um, that, you know, they've, they've somehow managed to get Facebook to embed that into the system. Mm, I didn't um, know that. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so it's going to be a, it's not going to be long, especially now with this, you know, with being able to just buy them over the counter. It's not going to be long before people are doing that kind of stuff. And it's going to be fun, but I, I totally understand where Valerie's coming from as well. I, I, I enjoy the act of, of focusing, you know, just, just making all of those decisions in the field. Right. Uh, and also, I can't see me getting home and having shot 100 images with Lytro sitting there and deciding where I want the initial focus yeah. to be. Right. You know, right. it's because I'm terrible at that stuff. I, I just want to, I just want to shoot. I don't really want to mess around with it in the computer. Yep. But if you think of it as something totally different, like you say, Frederick, I think that it's, it's certainly got legs and people are going to start to do things that will, will all be sitting there saying, isn't that cool? Yeah, that's, you know, using it uh, in a way that uh, uh, is relevant to the subject matter that you use the Lytro for. I mean, there's always been photographers that have just basically been post-processors. You know, Jerry Yulsman's work, uh, way back in the day before Photoshop, he would combine images in the darkroom and create these amazing uh, multiple kind of images in the darkroom. And that's what, that was his thing. And then there are people who use 8x10 cameras, which is a very different experience than I'm thinking, you know, Valerie out on on her Paris workshop 
shop where you're working on the streets and you're generally kind of moving pretty fast. So, I mean, I love the surprise of photography. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, you know, you, le- you learn from the disappointment. So if you miss the focus, you know, it just makes you better the next time out. But certainly uh, you can't stop uh, the technology from progressing. And it's really hard to predict. It's impossible to predict even in like five years from now just how this might find its way into, you know, the regular DSLR or whatever a DSLR is going to look like in five years. Yeah, or even smartphones, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. We, we, you know, we have iPhone, uh, iPhoneography, how you call it, iPhone. This is iPhone photography. And now we have like <laughs> Lytrography, whatever, you know, and that's going to become a, a, a kind of a specialty and something fun. So who yeah. knows? Yeah, I love it. It's interesting. Definitely something to watch. But and and you know, I guess we'll be seeing lots more people walking around with these little kind of square cameras uh, in the coming weeks because they're increasing their distribution pipeline. Just yeah. before the holidays. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they thought about it. <laughs> the perfect stocking stuffer, the Lytro camera. Yeah. All right. Uh, next story I want to chat about with you guys is Nokia. So we teased that in the beginning, but um, if you recall, if you've been following the story, a couple of weeks ago, Nokia put out this video that was touting their pure view technology, showing basically it's an image stabilization technology. And they showed... Um, some footage of a guy that was supposedly taking footage of a girl and they were both riding bikes. And of course that'd be jumpy and shaking all over the place, but it was smooth as glass. And then fortunately or unfortunately, someone an- analyzed the footage and saw a red camera behind the guy <laughs> that was supposedly taking the footage. So they shot this, pur- this purported pure view footage with a stabilized red camera. So, Nokia is recovering, and it looks like the PureView stabilization technology is actually pretty good. I don't know if it's as good as it was in that video, but it's pretty, pretty good. There's some independent tests that I was watching today that shows side-by-side. Actually, they did a side-by-side comparison with an iPhone 5, which I don't know if they're talking about image stabilization in iPhone 5, but they did a side-by-side comparison with an iPhone 5 and Lumia, and basically jerry-rigged a little thing to hold them both simultaneously and they walked around the nokia campus over in finland i think it was and the difference is remarkable so so i'm gonna throw it to you martin let's start with you first on this so the did you first of all did you see these videos and you're you're familiar with the with the controversy what what did you think of this stuff i actually with me being on the road and everything i i missed all of this so mm. I, the first i saw of it was your your show notes for today but i thought it's really funny oh, that okay they, okay that they used a red camera yeah um, but i did check out the the new comparison and it's impressive you know the it, it, i've never really shot video with my phone but it, the the nokia it it's really uh, it's noticeably 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 different you know the mm-hmm. the iphone even the iphone 5 that i think they they were using it's it's not great you know when when they they pan around you'll see you know a lot of sort of ghosting and and tearing and all that yeah yeah, yeah. um so it's it's good i mean it's it's a nice it's a nice uh, camera by the looks of it and it it's almost usable as a as a video camera. I mean, I, I wouldn't really think of an iPhone. I'm just about getting to coming to terms with taking photographs with an iPhone, so <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't really think of it as a video, especially with the way you know you saw it on that on that uh, demonstration video. But yeah. it it looks very it looks very very stable and clean, and it, it's it's 
pretty good video for a phone. Yeah, Steve, are you going to see a are you going to see a, a Lumia make its way into your kit for the next overseas trip that you make? <laughs> well, I you know I, I again if 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 it's a tool that makes sense in terms of you know when I'm needing video from you know in, in, for it, I mean I would I would certainly look at any kind of a tool that that makes sense for me. Um, uh, again, I'm a little late on this. This one wasn't in my show notes, so I didn't really get a chance to <laughs> to you. really look at this uh, you know very well. But uh, See, it's the magic of Google Docs, Steve. See, they, is, they update instantly. <laughs> I know, I know, but but the thing is, I mean, it's like it's like anything. Any photographer that that finds something that is useful for them, that does something that the others don't, um, are going to be attracted to, to using it. So, yeah. so if it's if it's that far ahead of of uh, other camera other camera phones for video in terms of stabilization, certainly, I think some people would look at it. Yeah, Valerie, do you see these smartphones just in general, not so much the Lumia, the iPhone, whatever? Do you just see smartphones as becoming more and more a viable tool to the photographer to create real work with? Or are they still just like I, I call it? Um, in my own opinion, I call it sort of junk food photography. It's not, you know, you're not doing real work with it. You're just doing, you're playing around, you're creating some cool looking Instagram images and sharing them, but you're not making anything that you're going to blow up and print and put on the wall. What do you think? I think it's it's fun, yeah. I, I, you know, as long as they can still make phone calls, I'm all good. Uh, <laughs> well, then you don't need to be getting an iPhone. Then. <laughs> Stay away from iPhone and AT and T if you want to make calls. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, to go back to the the red camera thing. So if it's that good, why did they use the red to start with? You know, I just mm-hmm. don't get it. Mm-hmm. Why did they make this huge marketing mistake when? When it's actually really good compared to other camera phones with this technology, I just don't understand their thinking behind it. Like I think that was it. I think you hit it on the head. They probably weren't thinking, and I, I think you could probably, if you look on uh, LinkedIn and search for Nokia, you might find somebody with (laughs) Nokia in their resume (laughs) that might be looking for work. (laughs) Just say it. Yeah, that is not a wise move for a marketing guy to uh, to do that and then get caught. (laughs) As the double whammy. I don't know. Interesting stuff, though. I mean, but the pure view technology looks really, really interesting. You know, not so much on the video side for me, but in the low light tests and, you know, just being able to take photos with, you know, in extreme low light because, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not having that movement on the camera. So I'd love to see that technology move forward. On the Nokia side, I'm not sure who's buying Nokia cameras, you know, honestly. It seems like everyone's buying Android or iPhones and, there's not a whole lot of in between there, so it looks like this kind of technology could help Nokia at least, you know, put a periscope above the waterline and get noticed. But I don't know. It's uh, you know, from my consumer perspective, I'm not sure if it's too little, too late. Hey, Frederick, can I just jump in with one other thing, kind of related? Yeah. Um, I was out photographing the New York, New York skyline uh, a few nights ago with a couple of friends, and. One of them had an iPhone 5, and he was using the new panorama feature where you sweep it across. Yeah, yeah. And that was impressive. It was the, – the images were pretty good. Uh, and, you know, when you think about it, it's an 8-megapixel eight, eight camera, and then swooping across, it's making a pretty big file. And for things like the New York skyline, it was, it was producing some very nice images, and I couldn't see any, anywhere where it really messed up. 
Yeah. So that's yeah. something for the something I've, for the I play with that as well. I don't I don't have an iPhone five, um, but I've I have an iPhone four S and I've upgraded it to iOS six and it of course has that feature in it. So I'm able to Oh okay. Yeah, so it works without with the with the four S. I'm not sure about the fours. I don't think it's if it's in the fours or not. But yeah, it works. I just played around with it. Didn't do any serious sort of panoramic photography with it. I think I was I was in Santa Barbara and I was inside, it was dark at night in a restaurant, and I was like, okay, let me try it. And I did a pano in there, just sweeping along, perfect pano. Even the people that were moving were in the right places. So, yeah, it, it works really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my, I've upgraded my iPhone 4 to iOS, what is it, the five, uh, 6? The and 4S, yeah. No, I've done my, I've only got a 4. And, oh, and oh I, the I've iOS tried, 6, and okay. I, I don't see that, so... Yeah, I think it probably is just for the 4s, and that's got a better camera than the four, so that's right, probably right. probably where it's coming from. Yeah, maybe it needs. A, uh, I think it probably just needs a faster processor more than the bigger yeah. camera. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's good. I don't. I don't know how much I'm going to use it. I want to play around with it, but we'll see. Mm. All right. Next story up is Adobe. So Adobe has released, and I'm excited about this. Photoshop Elements 11. So uh, that's Adobe's entry level image editing software, and it's. You know, essentially, it's billed as being more affordable and simpler than Photoshop CS6. So, the, a couple of the new specs in photo in Photoshop Elements 11 are: it's got a lighter UI. A lot of people were complaining about the dark UI with light text, kind of giving them that whole DP review look, you know, and not being able to read the text. Um, but they've got better organization of photos and people and events and all that stuff. Guided edits, which is really interesting. I want to play with that for auto image adjustments, new filters and that sort of thing. Intelligent selections and all that cool stuff is in there. It's 99 bucks or $79 as an upgrade. And a lot of people don't know this, but Photoshop Elements also has camera raw in it. So everything that you can do with camera raw, which is like real photography, you can do in the same you could do in this $99 piece of software. So it's the same camera raw engine that's in Photoshop and in Lightroom is in Photoshop Elements. So definitely check that out. So uh, for you guys, I want to throw it to you. Valerie, I'm going to throw it to you first on this one. Photoshop Elements 99 bucks beginning photographers that are looking to jump into this stuff, you know, they don't necessarily want to make a huge investment. Is Photoshop Elements a good way to go or should they be looking for something even cheaper like GIMP or you know, there's there's a ton of things out there in the app store. There's a ton of apps in there that they can they could buy or should they just plunk down and get Photoshop Elements as their Photoshop 101? Elements is awesome. Um, I mean, I don't really see what else anyone would need. I mean, I'm a Lightroom user and I spent pretty much all my time in Lightroom. Um, elements a little bit. But I used to have the full Photoshop and, and I didn't even scratch the surface of what that could do and it's overwhelming and and everything you need is in elements and i was reading matt's um review over at kelby training this oh, afternoon yeah. matt and, well he's yeah. really excited he's really excited about it uh he thinks it's awesome so he actually says between lightroom and element it has everything any photographer would need yep. i um i don't spend a whole lot of time in post-processing for my personal projects and for client work if it requires something really tricky like uh for my interior uh photography if i need to add fire in a fireplace or an architectural shot needs landscaping around the building because that wasn't done um i i work with a photoshop expert he does that for me that's all he does and, you have a human uh, you have I'm, a human plug-in I, we, exactly <laughs> and you know what i could 
you could teach me forever and I could never do what this guy can do. That's all he does and he loves to do it. I'd hate it. <laughs> Get me out of that digital dark room, you know. I don't I don't like it. Yeah. So I spend very, very little time in post-processing. You remember those little canisters with the rolls of film? That's mm-hmm. what I used to use <laughs> the old days. And, and uh, I kind of tried to make it work in camera so that so I kind of do the same thing now. I don't want to be spending time, you know, doing... Your, your, job, your job ends after you hear that shutter click, right? That's it. Yeah, unfortunately it doesn't, but I really, really try not to spend much time messing around with my pictures. So, And if it's something that I know I'm not going to do well, I, I outsource. So Yeah, love it. But my- Elements is awesome. I, I really... I really think that um, that's really all <laughs> photographer yeah. needs. I it mean, is, right? For a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely going to play with that thing. I'm, I'm excited to look at it. I have CS6. Um, and there are some things in CS6, CS6 that I, I think I'm pretty sure that aren't in Elements. And, for example, like the content-aware stuff. Um, which I've been using a lot, and I do a lot of retouching. So I want to play with elements to see how strong the retouching um, capabilities are um, in there. And then, you know, there's some other things in there that that the Brian O'Neill Hughes interview that I did revealed. So it's, uh, you know, there's still, there's a lot of power in Photoshop if you need it. But you're right, it's very niche. And 90% of the photographers out there probably don't need it. And for 99 bucks, you can't, you can't really beat it. Martin, what about you? I mean, could you... Could you live on Elements alone, or do you need the full Monty of Photoshop CS6? Well, honestly, I, I've been using full Photoshop for so long that I don't, I don't even try, I don't even open or load Elements anymore. It's come free with a few things that I've had over the years. But I, I can't really comment um, because I, I don't know what it can and can't do. Yeah. Uh, I, I do know that. I enjoy Photoshop and I feel at home in there. So it's not really daunting, but I also totally agree that I'm probably only using 10% of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for example, I, are you, are you on CS6? Are you on which, which version? I'm on CS6. Yeah. All right. Now, have you ever, have you done any video in there yet? I, I actually have the, uh, the creative cloud. So I, if I need to do video, I'll go into Premiere Pro. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have done video in, I think it was CS4 or something when it first started and it was pretty painful. Um, in, in Photoshop that is. Yeah. But I, I mean, I like, like Valerie, I, I, um, I will basically use Lightroom for 95, probably more than 95% of my work. You can do so much with local adjustments and things like that if you need to do a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and the very small percentage of photos that I do open in Photoshop, I, I generally want to do, it's either just a bit of masking or um, I do like the content, oh, context, content aware uh, fill and I haven't really used the content aware move yet, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if they're even in Elements, so I couldn't even say. I mean, if content-aware fill is not in Elements, then that would be one big reason why I'd like Photoshop still. Yeah. But it, it's not as though I could w- not work around it, you know, because Elements, it does seem to be pretty powerful. And I think it's 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 a good way, you know, I mean, especially if you have something like Lightroom to pretty much take care of most of it. And then you just need a little bit of something to do some pixel pushing every now and again. Yeah. Now, Steve, Steve, what about you? So putting on your educator hat, so you're doing workshop and you're, you're, you're uh, explaining to students how to do certain techniques. Do you think you could, would you, if it's a student that wants to go pro, I mean, you know, they seriously have their, 
their their laser focus on becoming a professional commercial portrait landscape whatever photographer should they start with elements or should they just wait and save up the money to go into photoshop proper and learn the the tool of tools um, well, one thing that I often say, and that is um, it's a good idea to get into either a Lightroom or an Aperture for the very important reason that it catalogs your work as well as offering you the opportunity to raw process and do so much more. But, you know, as our archives grow, we got to sort of find a way to... Uh, to get a handle on it, find that needle in a haystack eight years from now when we've got thousands and thousands of images. So mm-hmm. with a bit, little bit of keywording and, and uh, into your workflow, I think that's most important. And then when you have those, you know, amazing images that you want to, that the museum is requesting, then you can, you know, see what you can do beyond Lightroom and Aperture, bring it into Capture NX2 or Photoshop or Elements. But no question, I mean, Photoshop is as deep as an ocean. It's really more of a graphic arts program than it is for photographers. So Elements is is perfect uh, for someone who you know really wants to just kind of maximize their stuff? If you want to start moving stuff around and content to where, obviously, then you're you're into a whole new ball game. But I think most photographers are are not going to be doing that. So yeah, so, so not necessary. All right. Well, guys, we're going to move on. Um, we were going to talk a little bit about the the things that are that were released at Photokina, but we've been talking about them through throughout Photokina. Um, there's a nice listing of the highlights over on TechRadar.com. Just do a search for Photokina 2012, and you'll get a listing on. Uh, I think TechRadar comes up first, actually, of the the highlights, and we'll link to them in the show notes. But lots of cool stuff over there. Um, but you know, if you you should probably dive in deeper than we can cover on this show, then we can do justice. Uh, Before we continue, however, uh, I would like to give a nod to our first sponsor, and that's Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And as we've been saying on the show over the past couple of weeks, Squarespace launched a new content management system called the new Squarespace. And basically what that means is um, it's a brand new product with a different code base, meaning there's different technology underlying the Squarespace using the latest web technologies like HTML5, CSS, JavaScript, all that stuff, if you care to know what that means. But from a layman's or a user's perspective, basically they give you the best mobile experience possible. They've got new templates that are all mobile-ready responsive designs, meaning your site will automatically reformat itself depending on the device that's looking at it, Steve. Um, so it's very cool. Uh, <laughs> and so images, when you upload images into the new Squarespace, they automatically get resized in seven different ways so that it can serve up the right size image depending on what's looking at it. So it's just really smart. I mean, back in the old days, it was like you upload an image and who cares what it serves up as long as the image loads in the browser. These days, everything's smart. So it's serving up exactly what it needs, depending on if it's an iPhone with a retina display, an older iPhone or an Android device, or if you're looking at it on a traditional browser on your computer. So the cool thing about their new, their, the new Squarespace interface is it's drag and drop. There's no more 
You don't really have to know anything. You just basically go in there, point and click your way to building a really cool website. You can start with a template and then customize it based on how you want it to look. You can drop in blocks of content like photos, videos, text, social media, feeds, all that stuff, and just build your site as you go. It's just really, really well designed. If you'd like a free trial of the new Squarespace, you can just head over to squarespace.com slash twip. Sign up for your free account. You don't need a credit card or anything. Just try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide you want to purchase that website, use our offer code, and that's TWIP9, TWIP9, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. That includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about their free domain registration with annual plans. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash TWIP. And use the offer code TWIP9. And also a reminder to the current Squarespace customers, you can convert your account and your content over to the new Squarespace whenever you choose to. And, uh, you know, or you can keep your site on the current Squarespace code. So they're not going to force you to move over. All right. The next thing that we are going to talk about is actually I want to I want to run the interview real quick now. So we're going to do the Q and A after this. Um, so this interview I did was with the Long Times Brooks Institute of Photography professor Ralph Clevenger. We talked about Ralph's path into professional photography. Um, he's a you know and how he became a teacher. We discuss what Brooks offers as an educational institution and why somebody would want to consider even going there. It's just a really interesting conversation just about from someone that's sort of sitting in the middle of education for photographers. So give this a listen. Okay, I'm here with Mr. Ralph Clevenger. He's the one of the senior faculty members at Brooks Institute of Photography down in Santa Barbara and Ventura, California. He is um, he's been at Brooks for 30 years uh, teaching photography, so he knows a little bit about photography and a lot about Brooks and all kinds of cool stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, he has a book out called Photographing Nature, published through Peach Pit Press. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But the focus of this interview is about Brooks Institute of Photography and what happens on the inside. So, Ralph, welcome. Well, oh, thank you very much. It's it's good to have you, man. So let's let's talk about this. So your background, as we were talking before I, I started recording this, um, you you have a B of A in in photography, so you know your way around the camera, lighting, all that magic stuff, and you teach it. And then, but you also have a have a degree in zoology, right? And those two came together to create help you create that book that you have out. Tell me tell me about that process. Yeah, um, well, yeah, my first degree was in zoology, and I worked for oh nearly four years for Scripps Institute of Oceanography in uh, San Diego, and then decided rather than graduate school to uh, to, to get involved in photography, specifically underwater photography. And um, so I went to Brooks. And, uh, yeah, the, the two degrees um, and the knowledge and the people that I, that I met through uh, both degrees are a lot of what I do as a, as a professional, um, specializing in underwater and nature and wildlife and uh, eco-travel. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like it's a journey, right? You just sort of learn what you should be doing as you do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with photography, it, it's so much more than just photography. You have yeah. to sort of get pretty passionate about the subject matter you're working with. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, good. That's, that's awesome. So, uh, just before we get started for folks that want to check your stuff out and, and, and see, you know, link over to the book that you you've written and see some of your work, your website is Ralph. It was just spell it out. R E L P L P H C L E V E N G E R Clevenger.com. Um, and we're also going to be talking about Brooks Institute of Photography in there at brooks.edu. So let's, let's talk about, um, Brooks and just sort of the, the flow from, you know, say someone says, you know what, mom, dad, I think I want to be a photographer, you know, and then they show up at Brooks. What happens? What, what's a, what's the, what's a day in the life of a new student that just started at Brooks? Um, well, it's it's probably as usual with most new students, it's pretty overwhelming. Um, uh, not only do you have all those life situations, uh, what to eat, where to eat, where's the money coming from, where to live and all that. But but Brooks is a, is a very different, um, uh, college because it's so focused in, in, um, you know, the four programs that it offers. Um, so if you're coming into the photography program, I mean, I mean, literally, that's all we do is is photography. So it's it's very different than a traditional university where you have a lot of other choices and you may be searching for what you want to do. So it it is important for new students coming into Brooks to be to realize that there's there's that photography is it. You you really don't uh, take any other core classes. Certainly. You have liberal arts classes that you have to complete, yep. um, but it's not like you're going to switch over to an English major at Brooks. Yeah, when you're when you're there, you are you will leave a photographer, right? Well, you, you're certainly going to be immersed in photography, and 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 Brooks has always been geared. The, the Pro Photo program has always been geared towards commercial photography. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, a lot of other universities offer certainly fine art programs. Um, but ours is definitely geared towards um, to, towards the commercial side and, and making a profitable living uh, at creating photography or supporting photographers um, or working the business side of photography. Excellent. So, so is that the main reason why the focus on commercial? Is there several several other genres, of course, that you know you could dive into? Why specifically, other than the monetary, you know, you can make money as a commercial photographer? Why commercial photography? Well, I mean, commercial photography covers um, uh, a, a, a broad range. I mean, everything from fashion photography to travel to sports. Um, and we do have a, a, a journalism program at Brooks, which covers, you know, the more uh, news and visual journalism aspects of photography. Um, it's a very similar program, but it is separate. But when when Ernie Brooks Sr. started the school in uh, 1945, 46, you know, he realized that the that the GIs coming back from the war needed needed a job, needed the way a way to make a living, and so and he, uh, he so he decided not to go the fine art approach. He wanted to give them skills that would let them make a living, um, and and so that's what that's how the school started, and that's how the school has stood out from other uh, photography schools uh, over the last what. 65, 70 years. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so as you, so when you're, say students in a class, you're, you're sitting there, are the, the typical classes lecture style where you're in front of the class explaining the properties of light and photons and all this stuff? Or are you guys roaming around and, and, and finding yourselves on the beach of Santa Barbara shooting there and maybe one day you're in LA? How does, how does it work? Well, um, there's obviously a huge technical component to to photography, um, 
and uh, and 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 the first uh, year and a half or so at Brooks, you know, is 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 you you, you do go through a lockstep sort of uh, set of courses that helps build that foundation in in the technical aspects, but but almost all of our assignments and every class has creative aspects. So so yes, you're sitting in a lecture or you're going to a demonstration in a studio or out on location. And then, I mean, your homework is to go make pictures. Um, uh, it's hard. It's for me. It's hard to call that homework. But um, but but then you, then they have to go out and the, and the, really the only way you're going to learn photography is by doing it and then having it reviewed by someone and going out and making a better image of what you tried to make at the beginning. So the the entire process is based on that learn by doing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about, you know, speaking of learning by doing, what are they doing? So when I, you know, I'm, when I think of photography school, I think back when I was learning photography in the military and we were, we were, um, you know, mixing chemicals and in the dark room and going blind and, you know, chemical exposure, you know, coming out smelling like fixer. Are you teaching that level of photography or do you skip that entirely and jump into digital and Photoshop and Lightroom and that sort of thing? Well, initially, we're we're a fully digital school initially. Um, I mean, being a commercial photography school, you know, we we have to embrace digital because that's what the, you know, the market demands. Yeah. We do have uh, in 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 our upper division. I mean, we have a course on on uh, the zone system, um, which and and it, which includes some of the more traditional uh, processes. Um, much of that can be done digitally, and so the course also includes that. Um, there's a there's there's really we we've moved away from film almost complete almost completely to reflect again the the, the changes in the industry. Yeah. Um, but we certainly reference it. We have history of photography courses here, which delve into uh, all of the old processes. Um, so we haven't like abandoned the history, but, but but we have to be realistic in what we're in what we're teaching the class, uh, the students uh, yeah. relative to what they need to make that living when they when they leave Brooks. Absolutely, yeah, that's all rel- relevant. You know, even for me, you know, even remembering what I learned about film because we learned about film down to the how the layers of substrate are put together and why the halides on the film are spaced a certain way, and that equals the ISO, all that stuff, directly relates over to digital and pixels on the sensor, right? So I think, yeah, so it, it makes sense to teach that stuff. Now, what, what about... Right. I'm sorry, go ahead. And we, well, we teach it. We, we, we still teach the same stuff, only it's all digital. So the mm-hmm. students are learning about pixels, you know, about um, filters at the sensor level, how light reacts with pixels. So... So we go all the way back down in, just like we did with film, in all the layers, um, because you know the key. The, the, really, the, the key is, is that these these students, in order to be successful photographers, professional photographers, they really got to know what's under the hood, so to speak. You know, yeah. um, they not only just driving, but they got to know how the whole engine works and every process in there. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that analogy might work. So that's great. That's great. Yeah, you you. Yeah, especially if you're on a cross-country trip, right? You better know how your, uh, your, your thing, your car, and you're charging for this, right? So what about, yeah. speaking of charging, like the the gear that these the, the students are using, um, are they, do you guys 
provide? Because I assume if you're teaching commercial photography, there should be at least a medium format back somewhere around there. Do the do the students have to provide that, or do you guys have a, a cabinet full of stuff? How does that work? Yeah, no, the students basically need you know a, a basic set of, of pro gear, you know, a tripod and a small flash and a, a basic uh, small format uh, DSLR setup. Uh, but it includes a light meter and some things that maybe wouldn't be typical uh, other places. Mm-hmm. But we have um, it literally millions of dollars in in uh, photographic equipment in our uh, in our our checkout facility, including digital backs, uh, medium format systems, digital backs for large format systems. Um, you know, uh, studio strobe packs, uh, all of the lighting accessories you could think of, um, Kinoflow lights, so uh, video cameras, so the, so the whole gamut wow. of what uh, what we need to teach is available to students to check out. Wow. Now, can they, is that limited? To, like if you say, hey, okay, we have a class on, you know, butterfly lighting, so, you know, go get the gear that you need for that. Or can the students say, hey, I want to I'm gonna practice doing a model shoot this weekend in my loft. I'm going to go grab some, some gear this Friday after school and set it up over the weekend and play with it. Are they allowed to do that, or does it have to stay on the premises? No, no, no. They can, they can take it off premise. Um, I mean, we do – they have to go through uh, demonstrations on how to use the gear um, for – you know, so that they don't break it or, or you know, it doesn't cause any accidents or anything like that, the safety aspect. So they do have to go through a, a demo. Once they go through that demo, then they're allowed to check out most of the equipment on uh, off campus. Wow. Some equipment, studio-based equipment, is reserved for the studios and can't be checked out. But that's a very, very small percentage. But, for instance, in my natural history photography class, uh, you know, students are checking out 600-millimeter F4s and, you know, you know, some big, heavy, heavy lenses um, and, and going out with them and shooting. Wow, that's great. That's great. And, and then in terms of you reviewing work, is the flow, and I'm, I'm asking this as, from the standpoint, if I was a potential student coming there, you know, would, do you set an assignment and you, you teach them how, you, how to do it and they, maybe they do it practically and you show them how to do a particular lighting style or something? Um, and then you review it, or you do. Re- is there like a slideshow sort of component where you review everyone's work and critique it? Yeah, we the students um, most of not all of the assignment all of the assignments get feedback uh, many times in written form mm-hmm. um, individually to the student. But yeah, a big part of our our class time, our lecture time, is looking at student work and and commenting on the aspects of of the work relative to everyone in the class so everyone learns from that review process um the the grading and stuff is mostly done through the individual paperwork so so you're just talking about how to improve an image and what the problems were in creating the image uh in the, in the classroom setting very good now I'll fast forward to the present and the future you know there's Tons of different services that are out there to help photographers spread the word about their work and share their work online. I mean, we've got 500 Pics, we've got Flickr, of course, we've got Smug Mug. The list goes on and on and on for all these different places. Is there a component that of of the the curriculum there that teaches how to share your work and the ins and outs of social media as it applies to photographers? Absolutely. In fact, Chris Orwig. Uh, 
is teaching a class on basically social media for professional photographers. So, so it's part of our, our series of courses in marketing, yeah. um, specifically marketing photography, of course. But, um, uh, so, so as, as the industry changes, as the market changes, we're able to, in a relatively short period of time, react to those changes and add courses um, uh, so that the students walk out of here with a, you know, with an ability to compete um, at a pretty high level. Wow, that's cool. Okay, so then the, talk about the, the competition a little bit. Once they're done, first of all, how long does it take to be done? Um, uh, we've we're now in a we, Brooks now runs in a, as a semester um, program, um, so courses are fifteen weeks long. So it takes just under if you go straight through, it takes just under three years to to come out with your uh, BFA degree. Okay. Okay, and then once they're done, and after that three years, they're happy. They got their degree in hand. They're ready to go shoot. Then what? Like, are they are they on their own? Or you know, do you guys are there are there placement programs to help them go, go somewhere? Or what what happens? Yeah, we have a, a very strong career services department, um, and uh, we have a lot of connections in the industry. There's I'm going to take a wild guess. There's probably nine or ten thousand Brooks grads out there working, you know, and and have been for you know, of course, many years, thirty five, forty years. So Brooks people, um, uh, Brooks graduates have a reputation of being technically knowledgeable. Um, they understand, you know, how to how to work as a professional. So a lot of photographers and studios um, have hired Brooks grads over the years, and that's certainly one of the ways to start. Um, we also have a have a, an internship uh, program um, while students are in school, and a lot of those turn into jobs afterwards. So, yeah, the career services element is very, very important. Um, I mean, we want these people to go out and uh, be incredibly successful. Yeah. Okay, I have one final question to ask you, and that pertains to just the the learning environment today. So, the internet has leveled the playing field for a lot of things. For you know, for example, you can, I mean, I can order a book, of course, and and I can order your book and learn all about nature photography if I wanted to in the comfort of my home, or I can go to Lynda dot com and learn about Photoshop and that sort of thing. And there's workshops and all this other. There's a lot of resources that are available today. That weren't say available twenty years ago or even ten years ago. So my question to you is: Tell me, like, from the standpoint of the traditional learning photography curriculum, like like Brooks, I would say that's traditional, where you go in and people that know more than you are going to train you, and you're going to come out of the other end of the tube as a photographer versus the on your own approach a la carte, you know, Hey, I'm interested in nature photography. I'm going to go buy Ralph's book. I'm going to learn. I'm going to go shoot. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to share it online and get feedback. What's the best way, you know, what's the best way to learn this stuff or is there a best way? Well, there's no, I don't think there's a best way. Um, I, I think, you know, online learning uh, is, is a very self-motivated way to learn things. I mean, I mean, you don't have to do it. There's no requirement for you. Nobody's pressuring you. Um, so you, you, you do it at your own pace. M- most people won't 
you know, go very far that way. They, they may learn a, a small amount of stuff, what they need to learn, a lot of times related to a job that they're doing. Um, but in order to get a broad education, it, it takes a pretty motivated individual to, uh, to sit there for a couple of years and go through online coursework. So, and, and generally speaking, those are more mature people. They may have a, a day job, a, a, a career, a family, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that's going to change a whole lot. Um, traditional, go to a you know classroom and and listen to lectures and practice and get feedback. I think, especially in photography, um, is or, or probably other art forms, you know, is a very very successful way to do it for people who need to be motivated, who are coming out of high school or a couple of years of of junior college or something. They need the motivation. They need the structure. They need to be told this is due at a certain time. Otherwise, it doesn't get done. Um, And I I don't think that's going to change. I don't think traditional universities are going to go away. Um, I think there's always a need for that one-on-one, hands-on, learning component especially for for people who are just beginning their their career yeah, uh, in yeah. whatever they choose to do I, I totally agree with that do you think there's a hybrid approach down the road maybe in the future like for example um, not that the institutions are equal anyway but the there's a the University of Phoenix for example they do in-person classes and a lot of their curriculum i believe is online as well and you can attend it from behind your computer that kind of thing have you guys thought about doing anything like that well we already do um our, all of our students have uh, free access to lynda.com oh and um hey, yeah. i didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and we use that access um in courses like our digital asset management courses where there's um you know you you can give a lecture you can sit at the computer and and work with students on it but boy when you get home you really need to be able to pause the lecture and and look at what, what the screen grab looks like mm-hmm. and see where you are so we we use resources like lynda.com to support a lot of our our software uh, uh, learning um, uh, processes, for instance, in digital asset management and in our Photoshop classes. So the combination of the two is 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 a great way to learn. And in fact, that's a lot of the ways that certainly the the faculty learn uh, new technology and new software is the combination of the two: going to workshops and seminars, and then using Lynda.com. I love that. I love that. That's great. Well, Ralph, thank you for taking the time today to let me dive into Brooks. It sounds fantastic. Um, any uh, any like closing remarks you want to make before we sign off? Well, um, you know, other. I mean, if people listen and are thinking about a, a career in professional photography, I think they need to talk to a lot of people. Um, talk to graduates. Talk to students. Talk to faculty at any of the schools that they look at. And because it is a serious commitment, um, you know, we don't have dorms and, and, and we don't have a real uh, uh, popular so- student social life uh, like a lot of other universities. And that sometimes is a bit of a surprise and a shock to students. But if, if, if you know this is it, if filmmaking or journalism or graphic design or pro- professional photography is it, then schools like Brooks are, are, are a great choice for, uh, for people starting this career. Wonderful. All right. That's a, that's a perfect way to end this. Once again, if you want to catch up with Ralph, you can find him at ralphclevenger.com. That's R-A-L-P-H-C-L-E-V-E-N-G-E-R.com. That's, your, that's his personal 
website. Um, if you want to learn more about Brooks Institute of Photography, you can find them at brooks.edu. All right. Thanks a lot, Ralph. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Okay, you can learn more about Ralph by visiting his website at ralphclevenger.com, or you can check out Brooks at brooks.edu. All right, guys, let's go into the listener question segment. This is where you guys get to answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Question number one is from Matt, and he writes, he says, uh, re- referring to the Google Nick acquisition, he's, he says, do you think Nick software will continue supporting their main software like SilverFX in the future, or should I stay away from them because, Google, because of Google's history of killing companies that they acquire? Martin, what do you think about this? Is Google going to nick's nick? Uh, okay. Um, I I actually emailed uh, one of my a contact in Nick Software, and they they just they pointed me to a quote, and it was let's see. Uh, I'm trying to find this in my. Uh, here we go. So early, the the quote was basically uh, earlier this week. I proudly welcome Nick Software to Google. They've been making pictures more awesome for 17 years and we're excited to bring Nick's expertise to the entire Google community. And then he goes on to say, I also want to make something clear. We're going to continue offering and improving Nick's high-end tools and plugins. Professionals across the globe use Nick to create the perfect moment in their photographs and we care deeply about their artistry. So, you know, it's obvious that they're, they're not going anywhere well, look at, uh, looking, I, looking at that, Martin, though, reading into that, first of all, I want to know who said that. And second of all, he said we're, continue, we're going to continue to uh, continue offering and improving Nick's high-end tools and plugins. Does that mean they're going to kill Snapseed, which was part of Nick, and it's a low-end tool? So, um, uh, yeah, well, I, I think that what he, it, was, it was Vic Gun, what's his name? Like, I can never pronounce this, Gundotra. Okay. Gundotra that's that said it. Oh yeah, um, and he he basically, um, I think what he's saying is is that it's a given that they're going to be trying to do something with Snapseed, um, and the, and but conversely, you know, the people that are because they probably everybody thinks that Google has snapped up Nick because of Snapseed. He's probably just trying to reassure the other people that are, are using Silver Effects Pro, Color Effects Pro, HDR, all of the other high end. Uh, plugins. He's just trying to reassure those folks that that they're not going away. And I can't say. I mean, Nick are too strong a company. They, I've I've been using their tools for a long time, and I, I personally don't think they're going to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if if Google tried to kill them, they'd buy themselves back and just <laughs> and just go back and do it their own way. They're they're too they're too big too big and too too good a company. I think to be to just be washed away like that. All right. I, I think I agree with that. All right, question number two, I'm going to throw it to both Steve and Valerie. Um, this is from listener Gustav. He says, I'm going out to Mozambique, Africa for a month-long shooting or a month-long of shooting. Can someone help with info on what vaccines to take on the trip? He said he's seen a long list somewhere, but he's not sure if he, he should take all of them. Um, Valerie, let me throw it to you first. What do you think? He's going to Mozambique, lots of uh, little things that might get him over there. Should he? Uh, what should he do first? Well, I'd definitely get the vaccines, but um, I'm not sure. Well, his doctor can probably uh, find out yeah. which vaccine he needs. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I tend not to play with 
that too much. You know, if, if they say you need a vaccine for this country or that country, eh, I think it's safe to do it. Yeah, or unsafe <laughs> not to. <laughs> it, well, you know, you don't know what you can pick up and come back with. I mean, right. that's and spread around. I don't know. You could you could come back with the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, Steve, 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 <laughs> Steve, Steve. What about you? What do you think, Mozambique? You've been to Africa. You've been there shooting. How did you prepare for the trip, um, vaccine wise? Yeah, I've I've been to Mozambique. It's a beautiful place, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's really not that hard. I mean, you do a little bit of research. I know in New York City, where I am now, there's a, a great little travel medical clinic that basically knows exactly what you might require um, when you're traveling to a specific country. Uh, some some countries, you know, malaria is an issue, so there's a couple of choices you have in terms of taking malaria medication. If you're going to be there for an extended period of time, sometimes they recommend not to take the medication. Um, but, you know, it's it's not going to be hard to, to find that out. Uh, I know in Toronto, where he's from, there's a few clinics that uh, uh, specialize in, in travel um, including uh, the travel the travel medical center, which is in you know downtown on Bay Street in Toronto. So so yeah, it's not going to be hard to to figure that out because each country by country they list kind of what the uh, so called dangers are in terms of what you can do to prepare for it. And um, you know then once you do that, then you just go and you enjoy. Yeah, and now and make sure you uh, insure your equipment as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a whole other show for now, replacement. Yes. For replacement? Yeah. Insurance for the equipment, that is. As opposed to? Uh, Current value. Oh. I mean, like, you know, replacement so that if your equipment is stolen, you can go and buy the same one and you'll be covered. Or, you know, if you're not insured for replacement, that they will give you its value as used. Yeah, so they'll look on Craigslist and say, "Oh, your camera's yeah. worth twelve dollars. Oh. Here's twelve bucks." Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's like a car. The minute you leave the store with it, it yeah. loses what a third of its. Yeah, don't, don't, don't tell me but... about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, our show notes writer Patrick, uh, his wife Jana, it, it turns out, is an ER physician. And she, we'll put this link in the show notes, but she basically points to the CDC or the Center for Disease Control website. Um, And uh, they basically tell you, I clicked over to that website and they have a whole thing that says preparing for your trip to Africa. You know, basically everything you should do, vaccinations, you know, the type of types of disease that are that that are uh, prevalent over there that you may not be vaccinated for that you might want to. So definitely check that out if you're you're heading to that area of the world. And she also adds, John also asks, she says, and yes, to enjoy the trip as much as possible, but it would be a good idea to be prepared. <laughs> so I would have to agree with her there. All right. So the next sponsor of this episode of This Week in Photo is Audible.com. So Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. And they feature audio titles uh, or audio versions of many of the New York Times bestsellers. And for our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick the tires on the service. And um, I, I want to ask you guys, you know, so Steve, I know in previous shows, you've been listening, you've been known to listen to audiobooks. And Valerie, I know I heard a bird tell me that you listen to audiobooks as well. What do you guys think? What are you listening to right now on your devices? Valerie? Oh, sorry. Um, well, I, <laughs> Steve's looking I, right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at the website. Uh, 
no, recently we um, on a road trip with the kids, we listened to the Hunger Games, mm. and it was so entertaining. That, I mean, nobody, I mean, we're all bummed out when we got to the destination because we didn't want to stop the recording, you know. It's really, uh, it's really a good way to, to pass time when you're driving for 10 hours or, um, you know, any amount of time. And I was actually just looking at the, the audible.com mm-hmm. site and I noticed that they also have the Michelle Thomas language books on tapes. Mm. And I used to actually get those from the library, the, the CDs, and and I would I, that's how I learned languages. And uh, they offer the Michelle Thomas book, so I'm actually. So you're gonna... you're ordering right now. You're actually downloading in the background, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to learn a language when you're. Driving. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I'm I, I found myself over the years just sort of developing a hybrid sort of brain between how I consume books and, and um, I can I love audio because I can consume it while I'm driving going back and forth between you know San, San Jose San Francisco whatever I can sort of listen and just ingest a lot of knowledge into my head and then sometimes I just want to read a book so I'll read it on my iPad and other times I want a I want to hold a physical tangible book from you know from someone in my hand but the audible books you know I listen to them when I'm doing passive things, you know, I'm cleaning up the house, I'm doing the yard work, I'm driving. It's the perfect sort of background, you know, sort of take up the space while, you know, where your brain would otherwise be idle. You can fill it with knowledge using using these things. Steve, you, you don't have a pick, do you? You don't have anything. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just sort of echo what you're saying because as a way of kind of multitasking, but multitasking when you're doing stuff that doesn't require you to necessarily uh, use that part of the brain that is consuming the words that are being told to you. And it's a great way to learn while you're driving, while you're doing other things. So so I agree with you there. But um, yeah, I haven't listened to an audiobook in the last little while, so I'll, I'll yeah. leave it to you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. What about you, Martin? Are you are you into the audiobook side of things? Are you a, are you a traditional reader? Uh, I have never been a big reader, but I've been an audio mem- uh, audible member since June of two thousand one. Oh wow, like eleven years. Yeah, I so I, I jumped on this stuff pretty pretty early. Uh, I've got like five pages of audio books in my library there. So that is great. Wow. Yeah. The, the last thing that I listened to it was uh, Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs uh, book, yeah, that the three part book that I uh, I found that really interesting. But I how I, was the I how tend- was the narration on that? Because you know the thing for me that'll make or break a title is the narrator. How was the narration? Oh yes, on yeah, that's the, it, it. Was great. It was it was. Um, I didn't really find it. Sometimes I find the, their their pronunciation a little bit annoying, but. Um, yeah, this this guy was was great. Um, I've got a I've got a load of. I, I think one of the biggest times when I really appreciate these things is when I'm on what like like when I'm going down to Antarctica and I've got like hours where where I sometimes just be laying on a bed trying not to be sick, and I uh, I'll just plug in the earphones and just listen for hours on end, and it, it really it really is a good way to get a lot of books in. I wonder if there's been any studies done, at, you know, regarding comprehension. Like, do we, do we comprehend, just generally speaking, I know everyone's different, but do we comprehend better if we actually consume the words off the page or 
is it better to hear them into your ear? I wonder. I wonder how that works. Do you, do you notice anything like that, Martin? Like, do you think you feel like you can comprehend better when you listen to it, or is it just a speed thing? I think I comprehend better when I write something. If if I want mm. to remember something, I'll write it down. But as far as as like re- either reading, I'm just not a big reader. I didn't read much as a kid, and and so, and that means I'm pretty slow at reading. And so for me, listening to it, it's it's often not not really a choice between one or the other. Because if it was reading the book, I probably just wouldn't do it. But I but I've got I've often got the time. Like we've all said, in the car, you can just listen to it. You can do you can a book on in the background and you probably don't um you know you, you might not really take in it as much as if you're doing it if you're listening while you're doing other things but if you're if you're intent on listening to that book i think you probably put, you know take it in as much as you would if you read at least i think i do yeah yeah i mean i mean i could tell you for me you know i wanted to read charles darwin's the origin of species but there's no way i would ever get through that <laughs> would ever get through that book but audible has it you know so i listen to it and you know i'm, I'm still in the process of listening to it and it's riveting so yeah. the, you know, it's, it, it opens up doors like that for me because books that i would never ordinarily be able to get through i can get through the mm-hmm. whole thing and actually consume it were you gonna say val oh i i think people learn differently because now i know schools offer audible version of their textbooks so, you know, they probably found out that, yeah, not every middle schooler is a, <coughs> is a reader yeah. and um, they they may learn better from just listening to the to the textbook. So it's it's an option that's offered now in school. So I'm thinking that um, maybe half of the population would learn better. If they could just listen. I know. I know. Hey, you, you know what? There's one on here that you probably don't want to get the middle schoolers to, to download. And this is, <laughs> um, you probably heard of it. So Samuel, it? Samuel L. Jackson read a very short um, book. It's a nursery rhyme. And it's called Go the F dash dash K to sleep. And, it, and this is a very, very funny. If you, if you want to tell you what, if you want to get your free audible book from, from Twip, just go and get that. It'll keep you laughing for hours. Go the bleep it's, to it's, sleep. It's like three minutes. Yeah. It's like three minutes long. Well, it's six minutes long, but it's amazing. Oh, my. <laughs> All right. I'm getting that. I'm getting that right after the show. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, go to go the blank blank to sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> or go the blank to sleep. Right? Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, listeners, if you uh, want to get any of these books that we just mentioned, um, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip to, uh, to grab a free audio book of your choice for uh, new subscribers. All right, guys. It is uh, – God, where are we? This is, this is a great show. I get lost in these shows because they're so awesome. Um, it's time for the pick of the week. So this is this is the time where you guys can pick anything as long as it's somehow photography related. Valerie, I'm gonna let you go first. What is your pick okay. of the week? It's a cool book that landed on my desk the other day. Picture Perfect Practice: A Self Training Guide to Guide to Mastering the Challenges of Taking World Class Photographs by Roberto Valenzuela. Mm. And he's a he's a wedding photographer, but this will appeal to a, a large audience. And it's um, really an artistic approach to photography, and not so much a technical one. And it's not I wouldn't say it's for beginners. You need to know how to use your camera before you can really get into this book. But it's it's wonderful. Um, it will um, 
you know, talk about symmetry, color elements, depth, silhouettes, reflections, shadows. He uses a lot of images that are, you know, wedding photographs, but you can apply it to travel photography or anything else. It's very well put together. I really like it. So I recommend it. And it's by New Writers, Voices That Matter. All right. Picture perfect practice. We'll definitely link over to that in the show notes. Steve Simon, what is your pick of the week? Well, last week I, I picked the D600, and this week I'll, I'll pick the lens that I got to use. Now, granted, I was paid by Nikon for this assignment. I'm a Nikon guy yeah, all disclaimer, the way. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Disclaimer, <laughs> it's, it's obvious uh, if anyone's heard me before. But I really like this lens. I love the range of the lens. I love the fact that it's really light. But most importantly, you know, it's a very, very sharp lens. And for 600 bucks, 24 to 85 walk-around lens, if I don't want to carry my 24 to 70 2 8, um, it's just, I just feel liberated um, with a lens of this size and the fact that I'm not really sacrificing anything in terms of sharpness. Granted, a little bit of speed, but it's got uh, VR, which the 24 to 70 doesn't have. So, yeah, it's my new kind of uh, crush on a lens. Uh, What's the, the how fast is the lens? What's that it's, it's a 3.545, you know, depending if you're 24 or 85. But, uh, you know, in these days with the high ISO capabilities of, of our bodies, um, you know, you still get a nice bokeh when you're shooting a bouquet when you're shooting wide open. Yeah. Uh, yet, uh, you know, the advantage of having a lighter, smaller lens is can be liberating when you're out in Valerie's Paris workshop, wandering the streets of shooting Paris. black and white, beautiful black shooting and white photography. I'm a, can- I'm a Canon shooter, but uh, but my my client are welcome to come with Nikon's. Exactly. <laughs> and by the way, guys, all are welcome, the- right? Valerie. Yeah, they're all welcome. They can even I come rec- with their iPhone or their Nokia, whatever. You know, for, for those that are interested in, in going to shoot black and white in Paris, um, when I was at the uh, conventions, the political conventions, I knew I wanted to be photographing in black and white. So in Nikon anyway, I set my picture control to monochrome so that the images on the back of the screen uh, pop up in black and white. And depending what software you're using, when you ingest it, you, you certainly in the Nikon software, but even in Aperture and maybe Lightroom, uh, they came up in black and white as well. Now, granted, it's still a three-channel color file, but you get to see it in black and white. You're thinking in black and white, and it's it's a nice way to, to, you know, be in that black and white frame of mind. Love it. Yes. Love it. Now, Steve, that 24 to 85, how much does that run? 600. 600 bucks. 600 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, finally, lenses are becoming at least (laughs) semi-affordable. Exactly. So you can get elements instead of CS. Six and, and get a lens. The same thing you can get that lens. <laughs> yes, I love that. You know, imagine that. Get software that does almost everything Photoshop can do, and a lens that you'll have for about fifteen years. Right? Yep. Exactly. Love it. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. All right, Martin Bailey. What is your pick of the week? So I, I was gonna pick the really right stuff tripod today, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, are you are you guys fighting? Thing. You're you're not having a, a lover's bet, are you? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about saving money and everything, and those things are like a thousand two hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, so yeah. it's like four hundred dollars a leg. Um, and so <laughs> I, but, what, I but they're do, beautiful legs, though. They are. <laughs> well, they are. <laughs> <laughs> but prompted by something that Valerie said before we before we started, and I, I on on the workshop on the pictures to pick my workshop at last weekend, a friend of mine who I used to work with actually um, came to the workshop, and he 
his name's Ron Cuniff, and he came up with this really good tip that I'd never heard. And it actually is photography related because um, it, what it is, if you on a Mac, Windows guys, I don't I don't know if there's anything similar for you, but on a Mac, if you hold down the Shift and the Option key and then hit the brightness button, you know you've got like F1 and F2 or brightness up, brightness down. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I've been teaching the color management, because you have to adjust the brightness of the monitor to oh. your ambient light. It, I can't a, believe that Mac, works. That works. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a Mac, normally you've got quite big steps and so you and so you can't you can rarely get it dead on. Um but then Ron told us this thing and, and it's like you get four steps. Instead of each notch being one quite big jump, you actually can get four little notches. Yeah. And, it's, I'm doing and, it right now. It's like right. if you hit the brightness keys, you normally get that pop up, the it little works. overlay that, that shows yeah. you the 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 scale in those blocks, and if you hold down the shift option those blocks are in, are, are in quadrants, right? That's, right. And wow. it's the same for volume. So if you get a bit of too big a jump in volume, you can use it for that as well. So I, I just nice. thought that was a pretty cool tip. So thanks to Ron Conniff for that. And, uh, and I, oh, I've just saved really everyone. Oh, that's a really good tip. Wow. I had no idea. Good. Yeah, and I've it's just free. saved everyone that. <laughs> yeah, I've just saved everyone $1,200 because you don't have to buy five from them. All right. Well, I want to I want to throw one in there just real quick to piggyback on that one. This isn't my tip, but Valerie revealed this one at the beginning of this podcast before we started recording from her son. If you hold down the option key and click the volume icon in the menu bar, you get a list of input output devices that you can select from instead of going into sound preferences and choosing them. So. Just for the Mac users, just saying. That's awesome, awesome. I'm so uh, techy, aren't I? You are. Yeah, I mean, I had I've been using a Mac since like 1922. I had no idea that was there. <laughs> I'm I'm really really kind of up there. So. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Martin. That that was that's perfect. All right. Um, I guess it's my turn, huh? So my pick of the week is a site by a guy by the name of Andrew Warner. Um, Many people may have heard of him, but he puts out a site called Mixergy.com. And, you know, I'm a big fan of interviews. I like doing them and I like listening to them. Um, And so does Andrew, turns out. But my my sort of beat is photographers and entrepreneurs. His is all entrepreneurs and people that are starting businesses, failing, succeeding, making millions of dollars, making no money, losing their shirts, and... He, the cool thing I like about Andrew and his interviewing style is he'll get an entrepreneur on there and he gets these top names, top name entrepreneurs from companies that you've heard of and he'll get them on the hot seat. And his first question will be, Hey, how much revenue did you make last year? <laughs> you know? and, he'll, and they're on the hot seat. So they answer him. They, they tell him, yeah, well, we made this much money and we lost this much. And he'll do that with Fortune 500 CEOs all the way down to someone who just started an internet business, you know, and they just launched a product. And they'll say, he'll say, how much money did you make? And they'll say, hey, I made, you know, $10,000 last month. And here's how. And here's the breakdown, you know, and they just sort of go into it. The cool thing, the other cool thing about Andrew is he is, he has this weird talent of being able to, he's really personable and nice and articulate. And then he asks these, he asks these questions that like, are like right on the spinal cord. Right? He's like these, <laughs> like these really like, you're like, wow, did he really just ask that? And like, he'll, he'll, he doesn't care. He'll just ask anything because he's the audience advocate. And I love that. So I, I, whenever I listen to his interviews, I've subscribed to Mixergy.com. Whenever I listen to the interviews that are in there, I'm taking notes about, I'm like, 
as a person that interviews people, I'm thinking, wow, I could never have asked that question. <laughs> How did he do that? So there's a bunch of free stuff up there too. So definitely just head over to just M I X E R G Y dot com, And they, uh, they just give a ton of great business advice. If you are in any way thinking about going into business for yourself, especially us photographers, you know, cause we're, we're solopreneurs or entrepreneurs at spirit. Um, we got to know how to do this stuff, especially in the age of the internet. And it's, it's almost like an MBA of education that's just sitting over there waiting for you to listen to. So definitely go check it out. All right. We are at the end of another episode, episode 274. Uh, we're up to 274 episodes. You guys believe that? 274. Wow. Steve, you remember we were in episode three, right? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was there for number one. You were there I was for at, number it was, one. It was at Macworld. It was actually even before radio. I think Thomas Edison was there. <laughs> there were and like horse-drawn carriages exactly. on the road. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that long ago, and it was at Macworld. I remember it well. It was just sort of an accident that I got on, and uh, and yeah, that's... You know, you you can't uh, you can't stop it. You can't. Stop it's a tw- force. Twip has a life of its own. It won't stop, regardless. I mean, in in fifty years, Twip will still be going on with different people running it. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, you're, you're like the Johnny Carson of Twip, though. The, <laughs> hey, I'm the Conan O'Brien. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, the Conan O'Brien. You're right. <laughs> or no, I you know I'm the Arsenio Hall of Twip. Let's, let's, <laughs> don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, where would you like people to go to uh, to catch up with you and see um, your beautiful website? Yeah, when well, website you finally is, do it, it's it's happening. It's in progress. I'm tweaking and adding stuff, but Steve Simon Photo.com, and from there you'll be able to get to the blog when the blog is uh, is up, which will be in the future <laughs> soon. I just want to go on record saying that you promised that last time you were on the show. Was it I last know, week? I know, I know. You promised. It's really. Really close. Really Steve, close. you have no credit here. It's gone. <laughs> I know. I, don't. I know. I know. Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> all right. Valerie, Jardin, where can people go to find out more about you and your workshops and all your magic? Oh, to my website, valeriejardinphotography.com, all in one word. And then from there, they can go to my Facebook page, Twitter, whatever. Perfect. And blogs. All right. I and have for two you, blogs, actually, Steve. Oh, for, for, she's got two blogs, Steve, and you have negative one. You should just give you should just give Steve one of your blogs. Exactly. That's right. Come on, hogging all the blogs. Steve, Tumblr, anything. Come on, make it happen, dude. I know it's gonna happen. So, uh, so Valerie, just just for the folks that you know can't pronounce that name, us Americans, Valerie V A L E R I E J A R D I N dot com is J A R D I N photography dot com. Valerie J A R D I N photography dot com, and we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, of course, as well. All right, and Martin Bailey, where would you like to go for, or where would you like people to go to find out more about your stuff? I, everything's linked to martinbaileyphotography.com uh, my my google and facebook and everything's all it's all from there so you can you can see my portfolios and the blog and everything I love it. And you know, I love having all these accents on the show. It's perfect. I just, I just thought <laughs> yeah. about that. Even you, Steve. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. My Canadian accent, right? <laughs> you're you're, you're a Canadian New Yorker. Frederick, hey, you're the only American on the show. Yeah. I am. I know. I'm representing. Look at that. Wow, that's hey, well, well that, that won't be that the, the case for so long, though, will it, Steve? No, it will not, because tomorrow, officially, um, I get sworn in. What? As, oh. 
Wow. An American citizen, yes. Yay. You're coming out of the closet, Steve? I had no I idea. Look I at am. that. I will proudly be an American citizen uh, tomorrow. All right. Congratulations. Well, I, get, I do get to maintain my Canadian status and my Canadian tire money, for those that know what that is, and uh, my Tim Hortons coffee cart. So it's really the best of all worlds. That is really cool. Congratulations, Steve. I had no thank, idea. Thank you. Thank you very much. I know it's I a, haven't made the step yet. No. Ah, wow! I've been here twenty years. <laughs> yes. Don't wait a minute. Is that even legal, Valerie? <laughs> yes, I renew my green card every ten years. Oh, yeah. okay. They stopped asking me. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> now, Steve, did you have to take a test? Like, you know, who As was it that sewed the American flag and all that stuff? As a matter of fact, I did. Yes, there's a hundred questions, and you have to get six out of ten right. And I proudly got the first six, so they just stopped there. <laughs> Albeit, you know, the questions are not always that difficult, like how many states and you know stuff like that. Wow. But uh, you got to study for it. But I, I probably know more about uh, America than a lot of Americans do, just you probably because. Do. Of my preparation, and I get to participate in the election coming up. That's kind of exciting. Very cool. Well, good. Especially after covering the the two conventions. Huh? Now you know. Exactly. exactly. Now, Steve, I'm, I'm really resisting. Since you were at both conventions, I'm really resisting the urge to ask who is the better candidate. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> No, I, I think it's best that uh, you know because we we have we have all kinds of listeners out there. I'm sure in both camps. Yeah, so. because however you answer will disenfranchise half of the audience. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, matter. You can look at the photos and you can glean what you may from that uh, on my website. I've got both the RNC and DNC from this year. So so you know, so I, in I, your photos it reveals. Who your your pick and who the newly minted American is going to vote for? <laughs> I don't really know. To be honest, I don't know. I don't go in with an agenda. I don't think I do. But uh, you know, maybe other people's would other people would see it, but I don't. All right. Well, you're more informed than most people, right? Because you were like you had the, your finger on the, or your lens on the pulse. Of what well, was going on. maybe I'm just more, you know, misinformed with all the propaganda that right. was in, in both places. You know, red in one place, blue in the other. Yeah. But anyway, we'll we'll see what. what vote happens. purple, and you'll call it even. Done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, uh, so Martin, do we we talked about yours, and we were oh we didn't talk about Martin. Martin, did we talk about where? What? Yeah, we we talked about that. I must have just been so insignificant that you forgot. No, it. we did, we did. I have my I have my Google list here, and I'm just lost in it because there's so much stuff. <laughs> I'm just scrolling back and forth trying to keep up yeah. with the show. That's all I do. Yeah. I'm just a, I'm a leaf on the wind. All right, guys. Well, thank you, everyone, and for the listeners to keep up with everything in the this week in photo list or audience. Just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. And also, remember, uh, we, do, we really do read the comments that you leave us on iTunes, so please leave us a comment there and help us bring the rating, uh, ratings of the show up. We are one of the most important shows, I would like to say, in the photography universe. And also, be sure to check out our Twip podcast app while you're on iTunes. It's a handy way to stay on top of the, our newest shows and also go back and listen to some of the greatest hits. It's really interesting to go back to, say, the first show that I showed up on and see how bad I was. Not to say that I'm good now, but it's really interesting. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that... It is time to take that lens cap off.
This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.